and most importantly, is our guest speaker today is Tom Hauser from Grace Point Church. He's an awesome guy. So let's give Tom a warm welcome. Come on up and take it away. <laughs> Communion on the moon. That's awesome. Yes, yes. That's wild. Hey, I think this is my third time here, so I'm excited that, that Greg would trust me enough to invite me back. That's unusual. I usually only get one invite. Um, and I was sitting there thinking, uh, before I do the sermon, I just feel like I feel compelled to just say one thing, and that is I get to see uh, Greg and Charlie, one of the both of them, once a month at a, a monthly pastor's luncheon that we have, and I get to see some of your other elders uh, once or twice a year at different retreats. And let me just say this. You probably know this, but I just want to say it anyway. Your pastors and elders really do love you a lot. You are precious people to them. They pray for you. They say such sweet things about you. So... Uh, just in case you wonder, it's true. It's true. Well, we're going to talk today about a couple of the fruit of the Spirit that are listed in Galatians chapter 5. Um, to set the stage, uh, let me just read uh, uh, three different verses, starting in Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. I think it might be on the screen, or it will be here in a second. Uh, this is Paul writing. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Uh, let me just say a couple things about this intro to the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, first of all, he's describing two different ways to live, two different ways to walk. You can live by the Spirit or by the flesh. You can live uh, the narrow way of Christ or the broad way of the world. There's these two options. And before you surrendered your life to Christ, you were at war with God. But after surrendering your life to Christ, now there's a war that's going on within you, your spirit against your flesh. Uh, spirit trying to get you to do the things that you actually do want to do, your flesh fighting that every moment of the day. So there's this constant battle going on. And then starting in verse 19, it says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Let me read you. This is not a complete list, but it is a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, meaning the list goes on and on and on. And then he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. Against these kind of things, this list of things, there's no prohibition. You do as much of these kind of things as you want to do. I want to, uh, before I move on, I just want to touch a couple things of what Paul isn't saying here and what he is saying here in this little passage. It's so familiar to us, sometimes we can read it over and not hear what he's actually saying. Uh, the works of the flesh, that list that he has, those are things that our flesh do, does naturally. Those are things that our flesh wants to do, and uh, uh, it's a list we're familiar with. It's a list that we're used to. It's the list that the culture draws us into. And he says that the folks that do that routinely, folks who live in that world, folks who are comfortable in that world, are not people that would even be interested in the kingdom of God. They're people that are interested in the kingdom of this world. But this other list, this fruit of the Spirit, and by the way, you've known this before, it's not fruits of the Spirit, it's just fruit. Uh, all of these things come out of the lives of believers. There's this other list that if you abide in Christ, as you abide in Christ, as you grow in Him, these things will come out of you. It's not that we should try harder to be joyful or try harder 
uh, to be patient. It's that as we live our life in Christ and with Christ, we will be more joyful. We will be more patient. And so sometimes I think when we see the fruit of the Spirit, we think, well, we've got to try harder to do these things. And when we try harder to do these things, what inevitably happens is we fail because our flesh is still fighting against us, and then we're discouraged and we just give up. So let me just start by saying this is a work that God does in us, not a work that we do in ourselves. And I want to focus on two of the fruits, the fruit, two aspects, two character qualities of the fruit of the Spirit this morning, because they're very similar, but they're also very different, and it's kindness and goodness. Kindness and goodness, those two in particular. We, as uh, at least in America, we use those terms kind of interchangeably. We'll say someone is kind or someone is good, and we kind of mean the same thing. But when you see a, a list like this in Paul's letters, you can be assured that Paul didn't pick two words that mean the same thing. He picked two words that mean two different things. And these two have a subtle difference, but they are significantly different. And I'm just going to spend the rest of today talking about these two words, kindness and goodness. Uh, But before I do that, uh, let's pray one more time. I think that would be good if we prayed one more time. Uh, Lord, thank you for the songs we got to sing this morning and and the scripture passages we heard. Thank you for remembering your sacrifice through communion. That was all very, very good. And I would ask you, Holy Spirit, now that you would give us uh, ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive, whatever each one of us as individuals need, and perhaps what this church family needs. Uh, I pray that you would edit the words that are about to come out of my mouth so that what I speak is not my own but yours, so that we would hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So kindness and goodness. I'm going to start with what they are and how God exhibits these two uh, characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, First of all, we'll start with kindness. One translation, an old English translation, uses the word sweetness instead of kindness. And actually, I think that's a pretty good word. Uh, Kindness is this sweet disposition, this sweet internal disposition that works itself out in generous and gracious and gentle actions towards other people regardless of whether or not they deserve it, regardless of whether you're going to get anything back, it just works itself out, this, this sweet disposition that wants the best for other people. And so you're generous with them, kind to them, and gracious towards them. This is how a t-ball coach thinks about and acts towards their little kids. These are little, like, five-year-olds, I think. Uh, they have no idea what they're doing. They, they put the uniform on. They put the batting helmet on. They swing at a ball. They run the wrong direction. They don't know how to throw the ball anywhere. And the t-ball coach knows that. So he doesn't spend a lot of his time trying to, trying to correct their behavior and discipline so they do it well. He's just kind to them because it's all that they can really receive is his generosity and his gracious attitude and his gentleness. It's how a parent thinks about and acts towards a baby. And if there's a baby behind me, yeah, you'll be happy to know that that is our granddaughter, Hazel. Yeah. We'll just leave. We'll just... So the thing about babies is you, you don't, you're kind to them. You're generous to them and gracious to them. You're gentle with them because babies don't know anything. Hazel's cute most of the time, but sometimes she screams. She doesn't know why she's screaming. We don't know why she's screaming. That's what babies do. And so parents are gentle with babies. Another example, uh, I don't remember the golfer's name, but there was a golfer many years ago who was, he was in the PGA Tour, on the tour, but he wasn't like one of those guys that you would know their name. Uh, really well. But he did win one event. He, he won the event, and he got his, his congratulatory handshakes, and, 
and the press release and the interview and the check. He got the check at the end. And then he went out to his car, and as he was approaching his car, he was approached by this young woman. And the young woman was very sad, has a very sad disposition on her face. And, and she said, I, I know this has been a good day for you, but it's not a very good day for me. She said, my young child is in the hospital with a disease that is, is going to take her life unless she gets help, and I have no money to give her any help. And so this golfer flipped his check over and endorsed it out to her and put it in the palm of her hand, and, and there were pleasantries exchanged and smiles and tears, and she went along her way, and he went home. And the next week at a PGA uh, dinner, one of the officials came up to this golfer and said, uh, the, the other guys said that a young woman approached you in your parking lot last week, and he said, yeah, that's right. And he said, and, and that she told you about her daughter that was really sick and in the hospital. Yeah, she told me about that. And the official said, well, I hate to break it to you, but she, she scammed you. Not only does she not have a daughter in the hospital, she doesn't have any kids at all. And the golfer looked at him and said, so you're telling me that there's not a little sick kid ready to die today? And he said, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. And he said, well, that's the best news I've heard all week. The golfer was not interested in in doing something that would be uh, given back to him or doing something to the right person for the right time. He was just kind to this woman because she was there and he decided to be kind to her. It didn't bother him at all that she ended up taking his money and doing whatever she wanted. He was just kind. He was gracious and generous and gentle with her. When I think of God's kindness, the one verse that pops in my head every time is Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's gracious, gentle, generous actions towards you, His kindness is there to lead us to repent and draw us back to Him, to come back to Him. Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 4, it's a very familiar passage to you, but I'm guessing there may be a word in here that you never really noticed before. So listen to, you, listen to this while I read it. It says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God made us alive with Christ, raised us up with Christ, seated us with Christ, all so that now he could show the, the measurable amount of his kindness towards us, so the world could see God's kindness towards us. Christ's yoke in Matthew 11, when he talks about his yoke, uh, it's the same root Greek word that means kindness. Jesus comes along us in a generous, gracious, and gentle way. Jesus was kind uh, to the sinning woman who anointed his feet with oil. He was generous to her and gracious to her and gentle with her. That's the kindness. Uh, goodness is a totally different word. And while uh, goodness means uh, it's a wholesome disposition, so a wholesome internal disposition that works itself out in wanting that same wholesomeness or wholeness or holiness uh, for the people around you. This is a deliberate preference of right to wrong. Uh, this is a firm and persistent resistance to anything that is morally evil. This is goodness. It is righteousness in action, not righteousness for righteousness' sake, just so that I'm a virtuous person, but righteousness so that, so that you too could be a virtuous person, a righteous person, a whole person, a holy person. 
And while kindness is always generous and gentle and gracious, goodness may rebuke and correct and discipline. Unlike the t-ball coach, this is how the high school baseball coach might interact with his players. He may indeed be kind to them, but they've been playing baseball since they were five years old. So he will also be good to them and rebuke them, correct them, discipline them until they can become better baseball players. This is how a parent uh, interacts with their teenager. So a toddler, a baby is one thing. They don't know any different. A teenager, they don't know a lot, but they do know more than a toddler. There's certain expectations. You're trying to grow this toddler or this teenager into a responsible adult. So a parent thinks and acts towards a teenager with also with goodness that might include discipline and rebuke and correction. How does God display goodness? God is good when he disciplines the people that he loves. There's a phrase that I hear a lot, God is good. You guys hear that phrase? You probably say that phrase a lot, God is good. When do you normally hear that or say it? When, when things happen that we like, right? So what we're actually saying is, uh, God did something I wanted him to do, and I like that. But that's not what goodness is. A God is good when he disciplines those he loves. Jesus showed goodness when he repeatedly called people to repent of their sins and turn to God or the kingdom of heaven was near. That was him being good to the people he was listening to. Jesus showed goodness when he cleansed the temple and flipped the tables and rebuked the people who were turning it into a flea market or a Walmart. Jesus showed goodness when he called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. That wasn't kind, but it was good because it allowed them to a chance to see their sin and repent from it. And God's kindness and his goodness, as you read through the scriptures, you'll often see them at the same place at the same time. And I think the most obvious example is in John 8. There's a woman who was caught in adultery. And that culture at that time, the, the penalty for that was death. And the community was ready to carry out the penalty. And they drug her into the, into the town square. And Jesus was kind to her. He knelt down beside her. He defended her. He reminded her accusers that they were really not that much different than she was. But Jesus was also good to her. He calls her to repentance and obedience when he says, now go and sin no more. He was, his kindness opened the door for his goodness. And what does kindness and goodness then look like for us, God's people? Well, hypothetically, it looks exactly like it looks for God because hypothetically we're following him so closely that people can't even tell the difference. And just a reminder, kindness is a sweet disposition that works itself out in being gracious and kind and gentle with other people. So I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. Don't answer this out loud because that would be awkward for us. Um, Here we go. Are you generously inclined towards those around you? Or do you tend to think or speak harshly to them or harshly about them? For some of us, some of us, uh, watching sports or talent shows or reality shows, it provides this opportunity uh, for airing harsh opinions on someone's physical appearance or their lack of ability in whatever sport they're trying to do. And our verbal slashes add to the entertainment value. We just get a, get, get a kick out of that. For some of us, the daily commute to school or to work is an exercise in the ability to show kindness to the people around us. Am I generously inclined gentle and gracious to the guy who cuts me off in traffic or the one who's tailgating me just like inches from my bumper. 
Some of us love sarcasm. I'm a sarcastic person. The Housers are sarcastic people. Uh, we love to hit people over the head with a bat while we smile and say funny things. Politics are fun. How easy is it to be kind to someone on the other side of the political aisle from you? Or do you generally think of them as at least ignorant, if not downright evil? Some of us naturally assume the worst, mock those who are different than us. Kindness is really hard for some of us. Some of us struggle to be kind to the people around us or honestly to even want to be kind to them. So let me suggest to you that kindness for God's people starts with seeing other people the way God sees them. He sees them as precious, helpless, small, scared, hurting people, just like a little baby or a toddler. And kindness then responds to that perspective on other people the way God would, would, would respond to them with being generous, by being gracious and gentle with them. This is what kindness looks like, just like you would be with a baby because you see them the way God sees them. All right, so that's kindness. So goodness, goodness is this wholesome, whole, holy disposition that wants that same goodness, that same uh, holiness, that same wholeness for the people around us. And let me ask you another rhetorical question. Again, don't answer it out loud. Do you long for people's lives to reflect the holiness of God? Or are you more just kind of indifferent about it? Will we be, will you and I be like that kind doctor, a very kind doctor, who prescribes pain medications for a broken leg? Or will we be more like a good doctor who will go through the painful procedure necessary to set that broken leg so that a year from now the person can actually walk on it again? Will we be the kind parent who lets their kids just honestly run wild and do whatever seems fun to them? Or will we be also be a good parent who spends the time and the energy necessary to raise that little kiddo up in the way that they should go? Here's the hardest one for me. Will we address the sin that is contaminating our friend or our loved one's life? Will we address it? After we get the log out of our eye, will we still go back and address that sin? Or will we ignore it or laugh about it or even condone it? Or celebrate it? What will we do when we see that sin in our friend's or loved one's life? Some of us struggle to be good to the people around us or even want to be good to them. And I would say that just like kindness, goodness starts out by seeing people the way God sees them. As sinful, lost, rebellious, spiritually bankrupt people. And then responds to that with this passion that they would find the holiness and the wholeness and the wholesomeness in Christ. And go back to the book of Ephesians in chapter 5, starting in verse 8. It says, At one time you were darkness. It's interesting, by the way, just parenthetically. It doesn't say you were in darkness. It says, At one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. I love the fact that this says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. The produce of light, the produce of light that we are now in Christ, is found in goodness, in wholeness, wholesomeness, holiness. 
So as Christians, we're called to exhibit both kindness and goodness. And yes, the other fruit of the Spirit is too, but we're not talking about those. Both kindness and goodness. How do we know which? And I think this is the hardest question. How do I know? Am I supposed to be kind right now? Or am I supposed to be good right now? Or is it some combination of both? Uh, for our granddaughter, Hazel, at 2 a.m., are her parents, and she wakes up crying, are they supposed to go get her and feed her, be kind to her? Or are they supposed to potentially be good to her and let her cry and cry it out and learn how to put herself back to sleep? How do you know whether you get the, the wake, woken baby up or whether you let the baby work it out? When I think about this, uh, and this verse has been in my mind for about six months, and it won't leave me alone, and it's a little bit annoying, but let me give it to you. It's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. There are those who are just idle among us that need admonished, encouraged. They need a kick to get them moving. There are those that are faint-hearted and tired, and they don't think they can do it, and they just need some encouragement. There are those who are weak that literally can't do it, and they just need our help, and everybody around us needs patience. But how do we know when to give a person A one thing and person B another thing? And I would, I would suggest that most of us err on one side or the other of this. Uh, most of us are either really kind or really good, but we struggle with being the other one. Uh, I am a kind person. I'm not, it's not, I'm not uh, bragging. It's just I am. You ask people that know me, they'll say I'm kind. It's easy. Like I don't have to work at being generous and gracious and gentle. But I am often not good. I, it's really hard for me to be good, to call people to repentance, to invite them, call them, encourage them, admonish them into a life lived in the kingdom. And some people are the opposite. They have no problem dispensing goodness all over the place, telling everyone they need to repent and turn to God, but they really struggle to be kind. And I have an example uh, that makes sense for me. hope it will make sense for you. So my wife uh, bakes coffee cakes, and they're delicious. And so she sells them to a couple of different coffee shops. One of them's in Westerville. And so once or twice a week, one or both of us is in that coffee shop, either dropping off coffee cakes or picking up pans to start the process over again. And one of the workers in that coffee shop, which must be part or must be full time because he's there all the time, is a transgender person. And first, let me just say, my wife is extraordinarily out of the box, inconceivably kind to this person. I, it is just amazing for me to see. Goes out of her way to be to smile and and make sure he's doing okay to have an interaction with him. But so far. Neither one of us has had the opportunity, has had the connection, has had the time, has had the right context to be good to him. Neither one of us has shared what it would look like for that person to find their identity in Christ and nowhere else, not where they work, not what their gender is, not what they wear, but just in Christ, to surrender their life to Christ. We've not been good to him, although Michelle has been very kind to him. And let me just say this. I would say that kindness without goodness... If you just give kindness but you don't have goodness, it's powerless. In a thousand years, our kindness alone is not going to do anybody any good. Uh, But likewise, I would say goodness without kindness is also powerless. If we just tell people what they're doing wrong, that they need to repent of their sin, that's also not going to do them any good because they're not going to hear us. Let me go back to that 1 Thessalonians 5.14 verse again. We urge you, brothers, please 
Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everybody. Figure out where a person is and interact with them appropriately. Don't act, interact with everybody in the same way. And, and let the Spirit interact, guide your interactions with them. So my next question is, what would be different if God's people exhibited or exuded or more of this came out of them, more kindness and more goodness? What would it look like if this happened in God's people? Well, first, I think it would be really good for us. It'd be good for me if more kindness and goodness came spilling out of me with the Holy Spirit's help. Proverbs 21, 21 says this, whoever pursues righteousness, which is kind of another way of saying goodness, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life and righteousness, and honor. If you pursue these things, you will find these things. It's good for us. And I think kindness, if we would exhibit more kindness, as I said before, it would open the door for people to receive goodness. And goodness would in turn open the door for people to see the kingdom of God and perhaps find, perhaps find the life that Jesus has for them in the kingdom. More kindness might disarm the world's belief that we are just a bunch of mean anti-everything people. The people may actually actually want to talk to us because we're kind people. More kindness would point out our Lord's sweet disposition towards them that resulted in this generous and gracious and gentle action toward them, a kindness so profound, so out of this world, that Christ would die to show his kindness for them. And if more goodness spilled out of us, I think it might remind the world that there is a right and a wrong way to live. There is. And people may actually want to find out about that right and wrong way to live. More goodness coming out of us might point out God's wholesome disposition that longs for that same wholeness and wholesomeness and holiness in others. A goodness so profound that, again, He would send His Son to make that even possible. I think our lives, or maybe better put, his life lived through us, would draw people to the Lord, his kindness, his goodness, his son. One moment. Which leads to the the $100,000 question was, well, how do we do that? How do we get more kindness and goodness coming out of us? And I'm just going to suggest Three words, I have another thing to add, just in a general sense, let me say this. The way the the fruit of the Spirit comes out of us is through abiding in Christ, being with Jesus. In His Word, with His people, praying, serving, singing, being silent, that's how you abide in Christ. But let me give you three specific words that I think might help us uh, give the Holy Spirit room to work. Loosen up the soil of our hearts so he can do what he does. The first is the word remember. Remember. I'm going to look back at this list that this passage from Galatians started off with. Let me read this to you. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the list goes on. Here's the thing. I've done these things. You've done these things. And it was the kindness of Christ worked itself out in making it available that we could be forgiven of these things. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Be kind to to one another, gentle and gracious and giving because God has been so kind to us. 
the kindness of Christ drew us to him, it can do that for the people around us at the same time. We should remember just how kind he's been towards us. And then let that spill out into the people around us, not expecting anything from them. So first one's remember. The second one is to ask. Ask him for wisdom to be good when it's time to be good. Matthew 4.17 says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. If you read the Greek behind that English, you'll find out that what this means is, from that time for the rest of his ministry, Jesus said this to the crowds, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He was good to the people who were listening to them. And it is good for us to tell people what they need to hear, not just what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. So ask him for wisdom. I believe the scriptures say if you ask him for wisdom, he's pretty happy to give it to us. And then the last word is do. Sometimes the Christian faith does really good at the first part, but we, we fall down at this last part. And I'm going to go back to that same 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Admonish the idle, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. This is Paul's trying to convince, trying to admonish, actually, the, Thessal- the church of Thessalonica to get on their feet and do something. Go do the work necessary to pass the gospel along. In our context for today's message, to be kind to people, to be good to people, to do the work necessary, the prayer necessary, to figure out who am I supposed to be kind to and who am I supposed to be good to, how does that mix together uh, for, the, for the glory of God, the good of people around us. Let me pray, and then we'll do one more song, I think. Father, I will uh, take the liberty to confess on behalf of this church family, because it's probably true, that sometimes we're not very kind, and sometimes we're not very good. And we praise you, and we worship you, and we say that it's true that you are always perfectly kind and always perfectly good. And Holy Spirit, in us and around us, Pray that you would give us uh, the minds and the hearts and the lives that reflect that to a hurting, broken world around us. That Darby Creek Church here in this neighborhood would be a place people can find life and peace now and in eternity. That this would be a church full of kind people and good people Uh, to one another for sure. Uh, but also to the hurting world around them. We ask these things, we trust these things in the name of your mighty Son, Jesus. Amen.